This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Homesdale Radio Preview Podcast Sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk The next generation of fantasy football Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Homesdale Radio Preview Podcast I'm your host Terence Ford of RedAndBlueArmy.co.uk And I'm here along with Nick Philpott and Joe Walker of Represent Radio To build up to the inevitable six-goal thriller against Manchester United on Wednesday night. Our classic matchup for discussion this week is a 2-1 victory at Old Trafford in the League Cup quarterfinal in 2011 when Ambrose produced not a bad effort. But before all of that chat, remember to subscribe to both our podcasts by visiting holradio.net forward slash subscribe. Got something you'd like to get off your chest? Tweet us now at Whole Radio. Right, our trip to the city of culture had dives, penalties, wonder goals, a rare Fraser Campbell goal, but our generous defending appears to be extending into the festive period as another three goals were conceded at the wrong end. If you defended like that, guys, when um, like we did for the whole second and third goals in my university team, you would have been drinking shots of gin as punishment until the day you graduated. But alas, we have to dust ourselves off. And um, as every single footballer ever on Twitter has said at some point, we go again. And this week's helped me through that. I've got Joe and Nick. Welcome, guys. Hi, hey, Terence. How you doing? Not too bad. Um, Nick, you're you're just back from India. How was it? Uh, it was a nation of extremes. That's, you know, that's uh, the state and the obvious, I know. Lots of very rich people and lots of very poor people. But uh, I've... The good news is, although I'll come back with a, a mouth ulcer the size of a golf ball, I didn't come back with any deli belly, so pretty good news, really. Well avoided, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and we also joined this week by our guest, uh, Joe Walker. Joe Walker is from Rewind Magazine, Represent Radio, and of course, Flying Higher Magazine. How are you doing, Joe? I'm not too bad. How about you guys? Very good, mate. So, Represent Radio, talk to us about that. What do you do there? Uh, Represent is a station in South London, Brixton now. It used to be in Peckham, and uh, it's it's kind of, it's a youth-led station, so it kind of gets its money. You know, a lot of stations outside of the BBC tend to be ad-funded. Um, Represent is gets its funding from kind of teaching 
young people how to work in radio, be that on the mic or behind the scenes. And then from there, it's, it's a, I think it's called a community station officially. So I have two shows on there, uh, each fortnightly. One is a grind music show, because that's kind of my area of specialty in terms of um, the music magazine I work for, Rewind. And then uh, in the alternate weeks, I have a talk show with another presenter, Scully, where we just talk about sort of political issues and uh, things, talking points in the music industry as well. Oh, great. That sounds like you might have producers for us to use. <laughs> um, and you also, um, you write for Flying Higher Mag, which um, I'm heavily involved in. How did you get involved in that initially? Um, just from, you know, the, the good old days of Twitter where you just kind of connect with people on a similar level about whether it was about Palace or music or whatever interests you might have. I had I just remember speaking to uh, Sam, who's one of the editor co-editors, of flying high just through twitter and then from there he, j- he reached out and said would i be interested in writing a feature for them once and gave it a go and yes yeah, been doing it ever since yeah so um we'll say at this point congratulations to sam and vanessa who got married on the weekend <laughs> um yeah and uh, you're right twitter is it's not quite the same as it used to be is it like i remembered first joining in like sort of 2010 i think it was and so many Palace fans you'd meet up with at the pub and you'd have drinks with them and so on. But I feel it was a lot more innocent then, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it was totally. And now it's just you know, it's all everyone just wants to abuse each other and stuff. Where back then it did feel like it was quite a nice little community. Right, let's um move on. Obviously, when we have a new panelist on, we uh, give the listeners a bit of a chance to get to know about their Palace supporting history. So with that, Joe, um, what was your what was your first live Palace match? Well, there's, I've had to sort of do this by the first one I can remember, just because mm-hmm. my um, my grandmother worked at Palace for about 25 years. So I was being taken to Palace games before I had any idea what was really going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first one where I can remember leaving and knowing the final score was uh, the last day of the 95-96 season. We lost at home to Norwich 1-0. And that I think when I think if we'd have won, that might have got us into the uh, automatic promotion spots. Don't hold me to that. But either way, it meant that we went into the playoffs. And then the fir- then a few weeks later, I don't remember the semi-finals of that playoffs at all against Charlton. But I went to the final against Leicester at Wembley, and I, maybe because it was just so different to just going to Sellers quite often. I just rem- the, I remember a lot more about that than anything before. So the the kind of Cal- the less tall Leicester keeper coming on, um, yeah, Kalach. You ended up playing for like AC Milan like years down the line, and then oh. and then just the, the misery on the way home. Just kind of all the colour, the red and blue that was that was so exciting three hours before, just so solemn. And this train home was silent, absolutely silent. And it, I was, yeah. And I'll never, I'll never forget that. Yeah, I'm glad that's the only playoff uh, final we've had to experience as a loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think the Nor- the Norwich game at the end of that season was a dead rubber. I think we'd lost okay. a derby away in the game before, and that was basically the shootout for second place. Yeah, and then um, obviously I think Charlton was away in the first leg on the Saturday, um, so or the Sunday maybe, and then the midweek one would have been home and obviously you'd have been quite young so midweek home games probably weren't going then um, I can't really remember Ray Houghton's going against Charlton <laughs> in the second leg um, that was great great times um, your favourite Palace player? 
You can go with all time on this. It's pro- things I've, I've, I I used to watch a lot of videos of the the early nineties team, the Coppel era, but first time around. But I think in terms of me players I've seen over the years, I always quite had quite an affinity with Clinton Morrison, and uh, more recently. I, it started out as a joke, but I really liked Maro and Shamak. It was just yeah. something about him defying the idea of kind of a foreign mercenary fantasy Dan in for one last payday. He mm. just, he, he, I remember him getting a bit of stick at the start. May he wasn't really firing as a striker, but when, once you put him sort of a bit deeper, I thought he was fantastic for us. It was a shame he got so many injuries. I, would have, I, would have, I still love him now. Yeah, he's a technically yeah. he was a technically really good player. I think he was highly underrated. I mean, he was he had something about him. He was and it's to have a big name like that at Sellers Park and on that particular time is unusual. Yeah. I think. Yeah, because you got to remember, like Marin Shamak's on there with lists with Lionel Messi and stuff like that for Champions League goal scoring feats yeah. and so on. Mm. And it's right, I was surprised how he came in and applied himself, and I, I quickly became a huge fan of him. And I thought, especially when they dropped him into that sort of the second striker in a 4-4-1-1 yeah. I thought he excelled did really really well there and you could see his footballing brain along with his technical ability and you're right Joe it's a shame he had so many injuries because I think he um, he could still probably do a role for us now and uh, so we'll end with your favourite Palace goal uh, I had quite a few here but um, sort of Aki against Arsenal in 2005 was one that rang to mind just because I remember the but that was I was still at school then, so I still had kind of Arsenal fans, particularly in South London, everywhere. And so that was just a, a summing the, the the emotion of knowing that I had something to fight back against finally, beyond just kind of I go to games, which never really works with those people. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. But I think more recently, I think the punchins goal in the FA Cup final. I've never, I don't recall ever feeling how I felt immediately after that goal. It just some. It just felt like everything was coming together, and it felt so brilliant. And it just, just, it just didn't last. It was what I, the the best minute and a half supporting Palace I've ever had after that. Mm. Just, <laughs> yeah. It just gets me emotional now. Still thinking about it. It's, it oh, kills me. Yeah, and you're not you're not the only one who's mentioned that goal. And as I keep saying, it's just oh, it's such a shame that. It couldn't have been a winner because it had everything for it, you know, to be yeah. to be that winning goal to actually finally put that final piece of silverware. But no, thanks, that's Joe. That was lovely, mate. Um, right, we'll head off to a short little jingle now, and then when we get back, we will start building into the game against United on Wednesday. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homestale Radio. Right, guys. So Southampton three nil. It's all starting to look like, oh, right, clean sheets here. Pardew finally realises the dilemma that he's in. Um, Going to sort himself out now. So, uh, can can we consider ourselves unlucky in the whole game and maybe it's just a blip or was Southampton more the blip, Nick? Uh, any shadow of a doubt, Southampton was the one-off. They were just so poor on the day. And I, and I, I did say at the time, I thought to myself, do you know what? This is giving everybody else false hopes. Okay, uh, I, I really, th- I, I really thought uh, that would be his last game. I thought we'd lose quite heavily, uh, and it's a sick part of me. Thought was actually thinking to myself, do you know what? 
I wish we'd lost it, okay? Because at least the uh, the inevitable would have been brought forward. What it's just done is it's put the inevitable back. Um, and he's going to be around through Christmas now and, and they'll probably get rid of him in the new year. And I really think it shows his frailties. The whole game shows, shows his, his frailties because our defen- defensively, I know we're up against selection issues and everything else, uh, but I, I honestly feel that uh, our selection issues are down to the manager. He's got to do something about it. And when we come to the lineups later on, uh, I know which way I'm going. And that's the only way it's going to save his job, I think. What about what's your feelings towards Pardew, Joe? Do you think do you think it's it can all be laid at his door, or do you think there's some element that the players need to be blamed or luck? I I was on his side a lot longer than everybody else. I think the turning point for me was the Swansea game, just because it's repeated mistakes in the same areas. So late goals and set piece goals. It Absolutely just, right. It, Correct. Just like there's there's a after a while you just think. That's something you just should be working on and really cracking down on. And some of the the way he spoke, Pardew, after the Swansea game, it was kind of it felt felt like his first acknowledgement that, well, oh, maybe we should be having a, a bigger look at this. And I just felt that was inexcusable. I just thought that that was that could be kind of a sackable offence in itself. The fact that mm-hmm. it took until that game before it was something that needed to be addressed uh, or spent. Well, I had more time spent on it during the week. Mm-hmm. Joe, you're absolutely right. You know, the thing that came to my mind after that, that same interview, he was saying, or the, pre, the build-up to that game, he was saying that they're working on their set-piece defending all, all week, okay, and he's looking for a clean sheet this weekend. And what they do? Bang, <laughs> bang five in against us. <laughs> um, but I think that you, what you're touching on the late goals there. It's also, for me, the just not being able to hold on to a lead for more than a couple of minutes. And um, I think there's an element, element of on-the-field leadership. Now, it started, I guess, with a Burnley game, just getting carried away of ourselves when we got it to 2-2 and then pushing for a winner and getting caught on the counter. Yeah. Then the same happened in the Swansea game. We go 4-3 up and then we just concede a couple of goals within a few minutes after. And then, the, you know, the, the same's repeated itself in this game on the weekend. And I think we've probably touched on this several times, Nick, but... Dan, he should be grabbing hold of the players there. Surely he should be, let's keep our head screwed on for the next few minutes and see this game out. I mean, there's definitely an element of, I think, changing MacArthur for Kabaya immediately after the goal was a bad decision. I I can only assume that MacArthur was injured. Um, But the combination of the lack of leadership on the pitch and the sort of bad decisions on the side and also not even Pardew telling them to keep their head screwed on is... Can you see this as a rut that we can get out of? Well, it's it's the old old story. It's, it's poor in game management, wasn't it? Um, and not just and not just by Pardew uh, because of that substitution that you alluded to, but also to the the senior players on the pitch. I mean, and we can't even this time we can't even use the Delaney thing as a, an excuse that Delaney was sitting on the bench. No, we had our real leader on the pitch at that point, and we just can't. And you're you're right. It goes back to the Burnley game. It then came through to the Swansea game, and, and sure enough, as uh, came through onto the whole game. It's just they just cannot close it out. You know, it, it'll be the same thing on Wednesday night. And I know we're going to come onto the game in a minute. But if we, if we manage to fluke, because we are scoring, let's keep the positives. We are scoring goals. We go ahead on uh, Wednesday night, okay, and we lose five one, and and that's and unfortunately that'll be probably how it will end up. Mm. Well, so at the time of recording, we've got no news on the injury front. So, Joe, let us assume the worst, mate, and assume that Tompkins and MacArthur are both out. 
on top of that, we've got punch and suspended. What, what sort of? How does your midfield and defence line up? I mean, I'd, I'd imagine that Ledley and Kabai will be the deep line two mid in midfield, and then someone like Lee Chung Leong and or Jordan Much coming in there in, to play in front of them, which isn't the most inspiring or exciting <laughs> kind of prospect. But yeah, what's, it, what's your feet? Oh, sorry, sorry Nick, what's your got... feelings on Jordan Much? <laughs> Mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yours. You, you're a fan. Uh, do you know what I felt? I, I never understood the money paid for him, but he hasn't had a massive run in that position in his strongest position because he. Well, when we, when we bought him, I still didn't think we really ever needed him. And then it was only when he got injured quite early on. It sort of did us a favour because it meant Punch and had to keep playing in that spot behind the striker. But mm. I'm not, yeah, I don't, doesn't do a great deal enough for me. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm just being harsh, but I've not equated any. I remember one appearance where he came on and played well, but I couldn't. It, like last season, it sort of turned the game in our favour. But I, that's that's it, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think like there was a small, I think it was Everton away, he had a decent little cameo there, but um, certainly doesn't do enough for me. And at the time as well, if you think we just we got rid of Adleni Guediora and yeah. bought him in instead, and he was kind of like, What's, what, is that, what exactly are you getting there that Guediora didn't offer anyway for not spending a big fee, you know? So, yeah. go on, Nick, what was, you, what was you plugging away at there? No, I was going to say that, uh, again, Joe raises a good point about that uh, in front of the uh, midfield, and it's... I had written down that we're going to have Wilf Johan, Andros and Ledley across the middle. And, it, and exactly what he just said, Chung each stroke much, one or the other, playing in a hole behind Benteke. Um, I, think the, I think the most important thing is, I mean, we haven't mentioned MacArthur there either, have we? Um, so if you look at, I'm trying to play a little bit of devil's advocate towards the manager, okay? Soiree, Tonkins, Wickham, Punchin, Mondanda, uh, and now we think MacArthur as well. Uh, and yeah, he's got problems, and it's going to either be Chungi or Much, but sitting behind Benteke. Apart from that, we don't have any alternatives. That goes back to the old question about the the squad not being strong enough or deep enough. But you've you've done the the famous whole radio mistake there, and you've forgotten Flamini. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the, so this where does what what did we sign Flamini for? Because surely he has to go into this midfield alongside Ledley and. Um, Kabai has to be moved further up the field. The only time Kabai has really played further up the pitch this season was away at Leicester, and he he scored a goal, had a couple of decent chances, and that, and it's probably been one of his best performances of the season. So, Joe, would you would you see what Flamini can do, or are you worried yeah. about what Arsenal fans say about him? No, I must I must admit I'd forgotten about him as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I'd I'd have him in there. I mean. I'm surprised he didn't come on to yeah. close the game out in some aspect uh, at Hull, just because, I mean, when, well, I won't go back to that for too long, but we, I thought Pardew, to his credit, when he tried to match Hull with the 3-5-2, it worked in our favour in terms of getting up the pitch a bit more and chasing the game. But having got there, we suddenly looked like a team that hadn't trained for free at the back all, mm-hmm. all week. And it kind of, they looked horribly exposed. Um, so it was a shame that he didn't come on to kind of maybe reform the formation. Um, so what is touch on what you said about Kabai there as well, playing a bit further forward. It was something we saw last season as well, playing against some of the bigger teams at home. Also, Man United in the cup final. 
I remember it was the big contentious decision. He wanted to play Jelinek so to match Fellaini. And then so it meant putting Kabai further forward instead of Punchin, and um, which Punchin obviously wasn't happy about. And I do wonder what how that game would have played out if if Punchin was on the pitch from the start. Um, yeah. But yeah, I did. I thought he played well at Leicester. He's Kabai, so maybe maybe it's something him playing there might maybe that might be the best solution, sort of defending yeah. from the front as well. Well, it's funny, so you touch on there to him matching the shape of Hull for the second half. And it's really, really frustrating. So coming out of the Southampton game, we all felt that it was the first time that we'd actually looked fully prepared for the opposition. You know, we we seemed to have a game plan. You only had to listen to this show last week to listen to the the Hull fan from Ian Walterson, I think his name was, from Kingston Radio. Yeah. Um, and uh, Stuart Green, who obviously used to play for Palace and Hull, who was at Hull against Middlesbrough on the Monday night. And they both said there is no option left for Mike Phelan. He will have to switch to a 3-5-2 for the game against Palace on Saturday. So if two people who are, you know... <laughs> fans and you know the, the guy who had a decent football career are on a radio show telling us they're going to play 352 how is i just find it amazed that Pardew could seem so unprepared for a 352 and yeah. it's um it's just another thing added to the list for me that makes me really really worry about Pardew you know they always the, the talk is well i've seen it with my own eyes you walk around the training ground in the week building up to games and there's all these stats plastered across the wall. and But it's all very well saying, you know, if you scored a first goal against Arsenal, they lose X amount percent of the time. That's, all, that's great, but get the shape of the opposition team right first, you know. <laughs> because if we can do it on here, then I'm sorry, there's people with all those coaching badges should be able to do it as well. Um, we'll finish on our tactics. Joe, are you, are you a fan of... You score three, we'll score four, or do you think we should try and shore it up a bit against United? I'm a fan of it when it works, but that, that just hasn't <laughs> been the case. And well, Pardew said in a press conference a few weeks ago now that you know I've never been interested. Well, clean sheets are not my priority. It kind of as a dismissal of the way it's been working out over the last few weeks. But I remember when we were in good form under Pardew, sort of that 12 months it ended up being. We had one of the better defensive records in the Premier League during that time. I don't, I don't think it was just because we were outscoring teams and to, to such an extent that they, we, we, we weren't attacking wasn't the best form of defence. We had a good base to work off. And even you look at the Southampton result, as su- surprisingly hesitant to come at us as they were, I felt this very like Pulis S back four that we started with made all the difference because they, they focused on defending and not much else. And so we're definitely capable of being better than this. I don't I don't buy how reckless I don't it doesn't need to be as bad as it is at the moment. It's just sloppy. Mm, you're certainly right. Um Nick, what about what about you? Do you do you sort of try and get back towards what we did well against Southampton, which was not not taking too many risks, just keeping it a bit more simple? Well, I think it is. I mean, they're going to have to take a couple of risks because we we need something out of the game. I mean, mm. uh, my honest opinion is I don't think a draw's going to be good enough. We're not going to get anything against Chelsea, so if we are going to try and pick up some points, it's got to be against Man United. Um, I think the most thing that concerns me at the moment is across the team you can see a lack of desire and a lack of confidence, and and it worries me that you, you're always going to get a player that's down on his. 
you know, he's feeling hard done by or his confidence is low at the moment. Even people like, uh, the only person that's not would be Wilf, okay? But Johan, Andros, Ledley, the back four or the back three or whatever we're going to play, they all seem really light on their confidence. My other little bit of a concern is uh, because of the amount, uh, I know we've already alluded to it, the amount of people we got out missing this for Wednesday's game, um, who are we going to have on the bench? I mean, they brought that guy onto the bench the other day called Phillips, okay? Uh, I had a look at uh, Man United's bench for, the, for their weekend game and they had Blind, Fellaini, Matter, Rashford and Rooney on the bench. And we had some bloke I'd never heard of called Phillips and it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Phillips, Phillips was the youth team player that saved the pen. Did you not, did you not see that? No, I didn't last, see Last season, in, I think it was in an under-19s game or something, uh, the goalkeeper got injured in the last 20 seconds in an incident that led to a penalty for the opposition with Palace winning. And he went in goal, got, <laughs> went and stood in front of the player taking a penalty, wiggled his body about a bit, tried to get in his head and then saved the pen. And it was the last kick of the game. Good last, good so lad, good I, lad. I, I'm I'm all for putting him in over Hennessy if I'm if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a bit harsh on Wayne. <laughs> Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. <laughs> Homesdale Radio, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Okay, so now it's predictions time. Um, as always, we'll start with the listeners' predictions. Uh, we've got Lucy White. We all know Lucy White has gone for 1-0 Palace win. Producer Clouds has gone for a 1-1 draw. Uh, Patrick Olquana has gone for a 4-2 United win. Hambo and Nick Houghton have both gone 3-1 United. At I am the J-Law, we are due some luck against United. Could have got something from most of the games we've played against them since we come up. So 2-1 Palace. Uh, Tim Warren's gone 2-1 Palace as well with Bentek and Dan. Ben Younger, 1-2-3, has gone 3-0 Palace. Zaha with all three. Knee slides in front of the United fans kissing our badge. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, before I get your guys' predictions, let's have a few stats. Uh, it's going to be the 39th league meeting between the two sides. Uh, how many wins do you think we've got? No, no, don't. <laughs> I know the answer. I know the I'm answer. Nothing so six. Know. You've been doing your research all day because you're yeah. sick, yeah. sitting on your sitting on your backside doing nothing. <laughs> Eight draws and twenty-four losses make up the rest of them. Um, we're winless in the last sixteen league matches against United, <laughs> drawing just three of those. Uh, the referee, maybe a little bit of shining light here, is Craig Pawson. We've only lost two of the seven matches that he's taken charge of. Um, his last Palace match was the four-one win over Stoke. And he is a man that's not used to... Um, he's used to an upset when Palace are playing because he was the referee when we beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge last season. So, Nick, is this is this going to be the 
17th time lucky in the league against United. Look at look at all those negatives. Uh, what was it? Six wins, eight draws and 24 losses. It would be just like Crystal Palace to go and get one, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's this is what we do. This is what we're good at. This is what we're known for. So, let, let, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm going to I'm gonna be positive. I'm going to copy Tim Warren, actually. He said 2-1 Palace, Benteke and Dan. That'll do for me. Okay, what about you, Joe? I, I've i got faith in us scoring goals. I, I think that only the top four have scored more, more than Palace this season in the Premier League, right. unbelievably. And I have faith that we can attack, sort of, I think the, because of the options that we have, I think we Pardew's just going to go for it. I think um, United have got Valencia suspended as well as Mkhitaryan uh, injured. Uh, mm-hmm. I think... Maybe this might be the chance for Andros Townsend to kind of put in a good performance against whoever's coming in at fullback. And I, yeah, I think I think I don't have faith in our defence shutting them out, but that's why I think I think two two maybe that's the sort of result this 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 could go. Yeah, I'd certainly take a two two, but um, I'm sort of more leaning towards a United win, I'm afraid, and I'm more in the Patrick camp of a a four two United. I think I think we'll score goals. Uh, United have not really kept many clean sheets this season. I know they've got one against Spurs on the weekend, but Spurs didn't really show up to that game. And uh, I think we'll score goals. But unfortunately, especially with the the stretches now and the midfield missing out in front of them, the likes of MacArthur potentially, I can only see him scoring goals. So it's, it's a 4-2 to May United prediction for me. Uh, next up, it will be our classic match section. And we are going to be talking about our famous 2-1 win over the Red Devils at Old Trafford in the League Cup quarterfinal back in 2011. Okay, so it's the 30th of November 2011. And Crystal Palace are heading to Old Trafford for the League Cup quarter final. Um, Palace had beaten Southampton in the previous round 2 0 and hadn't won a game since, nor scored a goal going into the match. Five games, <laughs> no goals scored, 3 0 0 draws, and a 2 0 loss at Cardiff and a 3 0 loss at Leicester. And if you remember the game just before the United game, Glenn Murray put a penalty horribly wired against Millwall at Sellers Park to mean that it was five straight games without scoring a goal. So, what was your, what was your guys' feelings going into this one? Did you did you give us a chance, Nick? Uh, no, it's I've got a couple of quick stories to tell you about that day, okay? Because I went up there and I went up there with my three at the time, much younger children. It was as you say, November the thirtieth, which actually happens to be my wife's birthday. So we all left my wife. She was at home on her own <laughs> on a on her birthday. Absolutely true. And there's me and the three boys going up to Old Trafford. It was. On the way out there, it was always going to be a question of damage limitation. We were staying in one of the hotels adjacent to Old Trafford. Uh, but the best part of that day, okay, was actually not just the, the result. Obviously, we came back jubilant back to the hotel room. But it was actually the day after. I'd pre-booked a stadium tour of Old Trafford for the boys the next day. Of course, and we've turned up there the day after beating them in 2-1 in the League Cup quarterfinal. Okay, all in our palace tops. Can you imagine the abuse I was getting as we were going around that stadium tour? <laughs> yeah, loads of loads of apologists probably are. Oh, we played a poor team. But um, when you actually look at it, it wasn't, it wasn't really the case that they played a poor team with the... The nine internationals in there, but I guess looking, reading through the lineup as it started for United, you had Ben Amos, Raphael, Fabio, Johnny Evans, Chris Smalling, Darren Gibson, Antonio Valencia, Dimitar Berbatov, Mama 
Mame Biram Dua, Federico Makeda, and Ji Sung Park. So it was, wasn't too bad a lineup. But once you saw it, Joe, did you, did you think we'd have a chance of beating them with that lineup? Well, I remember being on the coach up there. I don't, I don't get. I haven't got. I hadn't had the got the coach up to a Palace game for years. But I remember because it was of the TV scheduling. We ended up getting it on a Wednesday night. And the only way you could get up there was basically and, and back again in the evening was by if you got the official coaches. Um, I remember seeing the teams an hour before kickoff, and seeing that as, as as strong as that team was, it still wasn't their first choice. And I remember thinking, maybe if we put our best team out, we've got might have something here. But then our team wasn't wasn't close to its strongest. We had Ambrose and Murray on the bench. I think we started with Stuart O'Keefe in midfield, Lewis Price in goal. And uh, David Wright was in midfield, I think, possibly. And yeah. yep. it wasn't wasn't the best that we had to offer either. So, which made it even ever the sweeter that we kind of played it the way we did. Yeah, I'd st- um, I I saw the lineup, the United lineup. Well, I just heard it just before we was we was in the back of the stands, just as we was about to go out. And I heard that Dimitar Berbatov was playing and was the most senior player in the team, if you like. Yeah. Obviously, Valencia has gone on to become a bit more of a senior player. Chris Smalling plays all the time now. And Jisung Park, but he was more just an engine. But as soon as I saw it, it was like Berbatov's going to have to be the one to turn it on for them to win. I, I, it just bred confidence in me because there's you always know that Dimitar Berbatov's got a a non-performance in him like he could just go yeah. out there and not be bothered and not turn up and I remember just you know it probably had a lot to do with the several ciders I drunk but um <laughs> I was definitely getting a little bit little bit of hope there but um yeah you touched on the lineup there so we had Price, Klein, Moxie, Gardner and McCarthy at the back had David Wright, KG, Stuart O'Keefe in the middle, Zaha and Scanner on the flanks and Jermaine Easter um spearheading the attack <laughs> you, that, you Jermaine, like. that'll be Jermaine Easter where we hadn't we hadn't scored a goal for the previous five games or something and he plays <laughs> Easter over Murray yeah I, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> that's, yes, the, that's but, the Dougie I remember <laughs> but that was I mean Dougie um, when we interviewed Dougie at the end of last season on whole radio he um, he said that he touched on it at the time that the reason why he'd been leaving Murray out was just because of his all around attitude around training and it was a very deliberate thing he wanted to play Murray knew Murray had the talent but he wasn't applying himself and that was showing on the pitch. So that's why he started to leave him out. It was quite funny. He was saying, you know, on the, on the week, on the Friday before the game, um, you're not, you're not starting Glenn. I'm giving you the weekend off, go and spend it with your wife. And then he said that he'd come back into training on the Monday morning and you could see there was a little bit more of him, right? I want to prove myself. And he just did it for a few weeks in a row, just sent him away for the weekend. And, um, I guess in the long term, it worked out for him. Talking to Dougie, uh, on the season review DVD produced at, um, at the end of the season, he said, from the first 10 minutes, I knew as a coach we had a great chance because we broke on them a few times from corners and I knew that, that, that this could be a close one. Zahav, first couple of minutes, just running the length of the field of the United player, not getting close to him. It was, I guess we already knew, right? We'd, we'd seen enough of Zaha to know that he had the talent, but uh, was you happy to see him producing it on a big stage, Joe? Yeah, absolutely. Because at that point, he was still kind of just our secret, and it takes a performance against a Premier League team sometimes to get people to turn their attentions. I mean, mm. even when Zaha was at Palace a couple the year or so later and got the England recognition, he was playing kind of like I've like uh, I've never seen anyone else play at that level for him to get kind of people to respect his abilities. So 
back then he was still just one of our youth products that we saw something in and almost from the from the straight from the kickoff he was just had had gave no respect to those united defenders that were out there i yeah. think it was fabio in particular or what was it for i can't remember. one of those yeah, two it was, it was but both night. of them <laughs> yeah he was on it he was definitely on it that night yeah. yeah, bless him with his his number three all over as well. Not not his um fancy hairdos that he produces these no. days. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was just running rings around them. I don't know if you've seen the Palace Minute video of um oh, fantastic <laughs> when they got Zaha just as a Sabutio player and he's just absolutely just running rings around everyone and he, then he's got him doing skills around Fabio and I think it was Fabio went off first. Just it looked like he. It looked like he tapped out like a UFC fighter or something. He's just like, I've had enough. <laughs> get get me off the field. And I think he went after 37 minutes. And um, nice little pop quiz. Who who replaced him? Is it Paul Pogba? Nah, Pogba was, came on in the second half. It was Zeki Friars. Oh, wow. <laughs> Zeki Friars came on at left back to try and handle Zaha. Um, and obviously that didn't work out too well for him. But... Um, I think we just did our job really. We hit on we hit a lot on the counter in the first half, and Zaha was causing problems, and um, we were containing that threat quite well. But on the stroke, just on the stroke of half time, Dean Dean Moxie done himself a mischief and put himself out until March, and um, that obviously forced the change and bringing on Johnny Parr. And then on at half time as well, Freeman decided to bring on Ambrose, who had who has talked since about how gutted he was that he was left out of the lineup and he replaced Sean Scannell and it would be um, a substitution that I guess defined the rest of Ambrose's life for as long as he lives he'd always be remembered for the goal he scored and just before he came on um, just before he scored the goal Paul Pogba came on as you said which is um, <laughs> crazy to think now that they sold him for nothing and brought him back for so much money but yes so on 65 minutes David Wright breaks the ball up in the middle of the park and um feeds Zaha who had green grass ahead of him as the commentator said but he decides to knock it inside to Ambrose who <laughs> just run in from the other flank to sort of get in between the lines and then um, picks up the ball knocks it forward a few yards and just unleashes a ridiculous goal so you guys were both at the game what what was your view from the stands of that goal Joe? Um, I think the Palace fans were quite high up sort of in the opposite that goal in the upper tier Mm-hmm. And um, so it meant you could just see it all the way from the sort of almost from behind Ambrose, and it was almost it was it couldn't couldn't believe what I was seeing at the time because really as much as we were containing them, we weren't getting a lot of sort of clear cut chances. We were getting as far as that up the pitch if it wasn't a counter attack with Zahar involved, and it would kind of stop or we'd try and cross it into Easter, and he couldn't hold it up. So it was almost like Ambrose had gone well. I might as well show that because I can't mm. can't trust Jermaine Easter to finish this off. <laughs> and I was just I've I've probably not celebrated a goal as many goals, uh, many goals like I did that night. Uh, that was it was just disbelief as much as kind of oh my god we're leading Manchester United Old Trafford. Yeah, well, when he the reason why he was able to actually pick the ball up is, like you say, we wasn't getting much presence in the top half of the field it was only really when Zaha carried the ball mm. that we'd get into their half like deep into the half because you can see the surprise that Gibson and uh, Jason Park 
when Ambrose has popped up in that hole because they can see the KG and David right in front of them and all of a sudden someone's popped up from behind them and it was just because he'd made that effort to get in off the flank which obviously he did a, a lot of his time at Palace. I mean, I've got to tell you, at that point, okay, when uh, Wright did break up the play and fed Zaha, uh, Zaha had been running rings around him, as we've already discussed. And when he passed it in field to Ambrose, I'm going mad. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> now, I'm supposed to be a professional football analyst, okay? What happened next? <laughs> uh, prof- professional strong, mate. That's Sorry. really strong. <laughs> Another mistake, then. <laughs> I mean, we've all seen the replays of that goal a lot, I imagine. Um, but what's always stuck with me when I'm watching it again or seeing the alternate angles for the goal is that Jermaine Easter kind of has no reaction to it going in. I'd love to see his face, a close-up on his face, because it must be shock. Yeah, that's the only explanation for it. Or unless he just... Unless Ambrose really did do that all the time in training. (laughs) Well, Freeman said that again on the review DVD. He said... um... Uh, I'm sorry to put a dampener on it, guys, but I see that every week in training because he's he, Darren Ambrose has just got that. But no, I think it's definitely a case of he's just he's in shock because he yeah. he turns around quite sharpish to look across at Ambrose. So or, or again, you know, as always, we never know what's going on. You know, Jermaine yeah. Eastman, Darren Ambrose might hate each other. <laughs> but yeah, as you as you say, Joe, I was directly in line behind it and just seeing him hit it and just thinking oh, that's a good effort. And then just to watch it all of a sudden take that left turn towards the top corner was just, oh, it was incredible. And obviously the scenes up there in the heavens at Old Trafford were ones that I don't think I will ever forget. Um, Although just, again, like the FA Cup final goal with Punchin, we kind of had the joy snatched away from us almost instantly. It was like, maybe it's just a thing, maybe something we can expect <laughs> to happen on Wednesday night. Yeah, well, we hadn't even finished uh, watching the highlights, back. We hadn't even finished singing We Love You. Yeah. We're still in like, full flow when um, Paddy McCarthy brings down Makeda. And I think it's soft, but it's probably a penalty. He's got he's got hold of him. And um, and obviously, Makeda gets up and just slots it in. But as the game went on, it we, it was only really it looked like us who would nick it. We started, you know, May United started to commit more men forward, which meant we got a bit more um, presence in the top of the field. Obviously, Glenn Murray came on and he held the ball up a bit better. And that that gave Zaha more chance to get in behind them. But um, obviously the game went through to extra time. Um, and to context this, extra time at um, Old Trafford, Manchester United up to this point had never lost a tyre that had gone to extra time at Old Trafford under Alex Ferguson. So history was completely against us. when. Um, but we ignored it. And eight minutes into the first period, Zaha, that chop that we're all so used to seeing now, Little sort of quiff turn chop does for Parksy Parchi Sung and he takes him out. And Ambro puts the ball into the middle. Is is he offside, Nick? Uh I thought from the far end, bear in mind when uh I thought he was, okay, but on the replay, uh, to this day I don't think he was. I don't think he was. What I do you think? A, I think just a little a little bit of, you know, an arm. Yes, yeah, an arm, and he scored with his arm, didn't he, Joe? <laughs> he didn't <laughs> quite come off his head, it was off his shoulder. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of, he's almost, yeah, it's kind of a neck and shoulder. It's kind of just in that little sweet spot that is, is <laughs> that, that one, that lesser known sweet spot that the attackers should use. But um, mm. it was telling that no no defenders seemed to appeal for it, as if I can remember. Maybe I've got remembered that wrong, but it just seemed to be something that was picked up on afterwards. 
Yeah, no, that's why. I mean, um, at the time, I just assumed it was his head, but I don't think it would have. It was definitely not a deliberate handball. I think it's one of those he sort of headed and then into his arm. So it'd have been very harsh to uh, <laughs> take that away from him there. Um, and then obviously, we I just remember we saw the game out quite comfortably. I remember Valencia sort of seemed to get on one for a little bit and put us under a bit of pressure, but everything just seemed to bounce very kindly for us. Everything fell our way and. Um, we quite comfortably saw it out, and if anything, we might have caught caught him on the break and scored a third. And um, obviously, then the final whistle goes, and you've got the famous commentary line of um, Crystal Palace have beaten Manchester United. I'll say it again: Crystal Palace have beaten Manchester United at Old Trafford. Um, <laughs> I've, as you know, obviously talking about the game now, I think there's a bit of an unsung hero during the match. Um, I've made it sound like May United were chanceless in the game, and it's obviously not the case. Um, Lewis Price, and it was that whole in that whole tournament, he had a really, really good time of it, and made some really good saves in that game as well. Do you think it was a bit harsh that he then got dropped for Speroni in the semis, Nick, or do you think we had to go with our best team for, in the semi-final? Every club would have done exactly the same, Terence. I mean, uh, you you would have played. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of me thinking to, at the time. I, I, I vaguely remember th- uh, thinking to yourself. Yeah, unlucky boy. But actually, do you know yeah. what? I, w- I want Julian back. I think the other thing that of uh, other thing of note from that night uh, that came to mind when I knew that we were going to be talking about it tonight was, and I hated the bloke with a passion, Alex Ferguson. How magnanimous he was uh, in defeat. He said yeah. uh, uh, something along the lines of, "You know, I'm really pleased with Dougie Freeman. I hope they go on and win it now. They deserve their victory." Uh, but that's not his style normally. Normally, he's a, a grumpy bastard. And he, uh, but <laughs> he, he was really good on the night. And I, and I started thinking a little bit differently towards him post that interview, post that match interview. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm, what stands in me from that night, and I hate myself for it ever since, was finding just as I walked outside the ground that we'd drawn Cardiff away and celebrating like we were already in the final. I yeah. should, I should, I should have known better as a Palace fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. But obviously, yeah, that was a that was a fantastic night. Um, sorry that we didn't put a vote out for this one. It's obviously the festive Christmas period is fixture congestion and all that is I've I'm trying to do a million podcasts at once at the moment so for the return game against Manchester United Old Trafford we'll put a vote out which I can only imagine will probably be won by the FA Cup first game final in a 3-3 draw but we shall see um yeah, so the vote will be up for the Chelsea game on Wednesday, which is weird. Maybe I'll do it Thursday morning because instead of the actual day of the Man United game, and then you guys can vote on what we will talk about on the podcast on Thursday. Just overran that. Now Zahar's got a bit of green grass ahead of him here. And finds Ambrose. Not a bad effort! What a goal. What a goal. Right, the end is nigh. I would like to thank producer, whoever's going to end up editing this. I don't know who it is at the moment. Um, I'd also like to thank my panel, Nick and Joe, guys. Thank you for joining us. Always our pleasure, mate. You know that. Mm Mm-hmm.
If you uh, want to contact the show, you can email us on the preview podcast at wholeradio.net address or tweet us at Whole Radio. Uh, <laughs> look out this Thursday for a special edition of Whole Radio where Hambo and I will be co-hosting a joint review show of the United game and preview show for the Chelsea game. And uh, Alberts will be joining us for that experimental format. Uh, I can't possibly see what would go wrong. But um, until Thursday night, guys, up the palace. Up the palace. Come on. <laughs> so you guys can do one in the <laughs> lightest way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>